0: The Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors. The Malin Agency, located in Springfield, PA where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Welcome, everyone, to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week excelled on the baseball field through high school and college, and many thought he had enough talent to make it all the way to the majors. But along the way, his dreams took him from the diamond to the stage and he's been cranking out hits of a different kind for over 15 years. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show one of the most talented and genuinely authentic artists in the music business today, Matt Stillwell. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're making me blush. <laughs> I like the intro.
1: That's good. Yeah, bill is the master he is the master of the intro it's fantastic but it's all genuine and all true matt so we're really happy to have you on the show let's bring it back to your love for baseball talk to yeah. us about that when did you first pick up a ball and discover your passion for it
2: Oof, man i i guess probably i could i four four years old i don't know i mean that that young certainly uh t-ball was a you know, the beginning of the organized baseball, but, uh, we had this apple tree in the back backyard and the big plastic bats that have the, you know, the huge barrels on them, those little bitty apples would fall off. And I would throw those up and try to hit them over the house and hit the neighbor's house, stuff like that. When I was, when I was little, uh, and I, I, did that all the time and so I think that's probably when I when I first got that passion and discovered that I had a little bit of a, a talent for it and you know so it was it was that early on yeah
1: was that your only sport
2: no I, I I played everything so and and from that age I played football and basketball and baseball and um I'm I'm a very big advocate of playing all the sports um You know, I was fortunate enough to play baseball uh, all the way through college, but I would sit here and tell you that I learned just as much, if not more, uh, from playing football and basketball. You know, basketball is such a a quick, fast-twitch sport. You have to make quick decisions, and you have to learn how to use your body, where baseball is not necessarily the most athletic. Uh, Just look at the Phillies' leadoff hitter. Hey, wait yeah. a minute, Carl Schwarber, and John Cruck. I mean, come on with the Phillies here. But, yeah, but, so, but
1: look yeah. at how they dive and stop balls. And I mean, it they they're probably more technicians than you know than other sports. But they, I still think they're great athletes.
2: Well, you so where I was going with some of that is <laughs> that you have to get that athletic. Uh, ability the training and the instincts and stuff come from other sports in many cases and if you pulled most of your uh, major league guys or high level college or whatever most of those guys played all every sport and they they're huge advocates for it and a lot of my friends and teammates and coaches that are still coaching or playing or are scouts now they look for people that are doing that you know I, I think there's such a uh, a rush to specialize in sports now with kids. And I think that it really hurts them. You start seeing Tommy John surgery when they're like 14, 15 years old, um, which is really crazy. And uh, a lot of that stems from not being able to develop. And I feel like that physically and football teaches you a lot of that, the mental toughness, but also the physical toughness and working out um, and and all that stuff really helped me as I got into College, uh, because I was fast and I I could run and I you know my footwork was good and um, I could hit a little bit and throw a little bit but you know a lot of my physical development came from those other sports and I I, I fear that kids today unless their parents are just spending millions of dollars on um, you know these specialized uh, speed and strength programs and all that stuff for a ten year old. Is just insane. Just go out and run in the backyard and chase dogs around or something. You know, that's that's really what you should be doing. So, well,
1: uh, Bill, I know you. I want to give you the floor, but I just want to comment on that real quick because you talked about before we rolled the camera that you're, you know, at your daughter's practice and they play travel ball, and and you know that is the way it is these days. The days of the three sport athlete really are don't happen much anymore because everything is so competitive that you really have to get on these travel teams or you can't compete and make the high school team. And I agree with you that um, I think there's too much wear and tear on the same muscles. And that's why these kids are having ACL problems or having all these kind of problems that, you know, we didn't have growing up, not to that degree.
2: No, not at all, and and I really first of all I want to say thank you for talking about all this. This is awesome. Um, the I really do think that that I'm going to tell you from a former baseball player the way I think about it with my girls. Okay, I, they're 10 and 11, and they've come back around. They it was tough for them to listen to me. <laughs> Uh, when I would try to teach them how to hit and do all that kind of stuff until, you know, about four years later, they realized that daddy knew what he was talking about, but it's really been a, uh, I don't care if they go out and win 50 or 60 games when they're 10, I care that they're learning how to play the game correctly and that they're having fun. Uh, It's so that they don't get burned out. I played with guys in college that were burned out before they got to college because they played so many games and, Um, you know, that that's a really tough thing with that specialization. Um, one thing that we run into now, the girls are somewhat in middle school, is the seasons are not like they were for me. I played football in the fall, basketball in the winter, and baseball in the spring and summer. And you you transition from each sport really easy. Well, my girls play travel ball, then they play middle school softball at the same time as volleyball is and now and they go right from volleyball into basketball and you're still in softball season fall ball all at the same time and trying to do school and stuff and it's just a weird um uh, thing that they have to go through and they're 10 and 11 it's real it's 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 pretty wild and i think that it changes their um you know it's just well it's it's a different experience than we had i'll say that and um I hope, you know, one of my girls plays volleyball and basketball and softball, and we try to kind of push a lot of that on them without pushing it, so to speak, just because we do want them to develop, and you learn how to compete in different sports uh, differently than you do in, in baseball and softball. Uh, winning a game, you know, ultimately is the same, but Competing at all the speeds of the games are different. All the there's different number of teammates. There's different teammates. And so learning all that stuff is really what makes you understand at a at a higher level what it is to be a teammate, a good teammate. Um, and so I think a lot of that kind of gets thrown out of the way because everybody's in such a rat race to be on the right travel ball team and win and have, you know the fact that they have stats and they hit 650 when they're 11, I could care less. And most college scouts could care less. I mean, who, who cares? I played with a lot of people that were 12 years old that were home run Kings, right. They didn't even play in high school, you Mm -hmm. know? So when, when you get in that situation and it's like, and you're tracking that you're putting so much pressure to have statistics that simply don't matter. What I like to see, you know, one, my daughter Carolina has really good instincts uh, defensively, and she makes really cool plays uh, that I'm like, oh, she surprised me that she knew what to do in that situation. Uh, I see those type things in players being the things that actually take them farther than, you know, hitting a blooper over the third baseman's head and and calling it a double. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a soapbox now. You you, no, you hit a thing. So These
0: are Matt, these are these are great points. And I mean, you know, my, my son is 30 and when he was younger, I coached him. He played football, baseball and basketball. I coached him in two out of the three, because, uh, as I've said many times on our show, basketball uh, was not for me because of the whole dribbling thing. Um, but I coached that's him in important. football and baseball. You know, and he loved football the most, but I really wanted him to play in the other sports and he really benefited from it. He became a better athlete all around because he wasn't like some of the other kids specializing in one sport. You know, like you said, some kids 15, 16 years old needing Tommy John surgery because they've been throwing curveballs since they were nine. When you really shouldn't do that, that young.
2: No, that's for sure. Yeah. I, and and I do get on my soapbox about a lot of things. I, I will tell you on this this subject, and especially in the sport of baseball and in music, they parallel themselves so much. And I use as much of my baseball experience in everything that I do in my business in my in the music business. Like every day, I talk about it a lot. The one thing that I would say to kids. Um, And whether that's if if they want to go and be Heidi Newfield that we were just talking about, or be, you know, a a country singer or a a pop singer, whatever, or if they want to play baseball or softball, I recognize in my kids the passion that you just spoke about. That's something that you're born with. I don't think you can't learn how to be passionate about something. You can learn how to practice and you can learn how to develop and you can do all that, but it's really that passion that leads and makes you get out of bed and makes my girls come and want to throw with me after their practice. um, You know, without me saying something and that part of whatever you want to do, the passion part is, is the most important factor, like hands down, because, you know, I used to go. I would. I tell people sometimes. My my buddy Chris Hess and I. He he's now a federal prosecutor and an SEC football referee. Uh, he played football and and baseball in college at Davidson. Um, but in high school, he and I would get up and meet each other at the batting cages at 5 a.m. before school. Uh, we would take soft toss and hit off a tee um, while it was dark. With our light, like our car lights or whatever, and then when it got light enough, we'd throw BP to each other. And then we go to my grandmother's house; she cooked us breakfast, and um, that whole situation for me—no one told me to do that, you know. Yeah. And that's passion. No action one told me to there. Do that. that right there, honestly, is really the diff. What what it becomes the difference maker for whether you're a kid, you're in high school, you're in college, you're playing professional ball you still have to have that passion uh and i'm a firm believer that you're born with that i, I just happen to be have be born with the passion for two things uh, i don't know if that's a curse or a blessing but um i still lie awake at night dreaming about what i'm doing now um and i'm not young so
0: Well, you know, Matt, you talked about um, uh, that other passion and you actually talked about some parallels between baseball and music. So uh, when and how did music enter the scene for you? So
2: just like a lot of people, I sang in church when I was younger. Um, And then like seventh and eighth grade, I I got into chorus. Uh, And then as I got into high school, I was in chorus and did some productions and stuff like that. But I certainly didn't let it take uh, precedence over, over baseball or football or basketball practice. I I stopped a few productions because I had to be at practice or a game or something like that. And um, I always say, if you can see my hands, I always say that music just started doing this for me. And what that was or when that was, was in college. And it was my junior season was my best season in college i hit 14 home runs at 346 and stole a bunch of bases and played well in the outfield i could run and hit and i you know that was the year where i was going to get my shot you know had agent and that whole situation and uh it didn't pan out you never know why why things don't happen or at least i don't know necessarily but it was after that I was playing in the Shenandoah Valley League in Winchester, Virginia, and not far from you guys in Philly. and the uh, the draft came and went, didn't happen. I still played decent that uh, the rest of that summer had a decent fa- had a really good fall. Um, and that winter, I um, I used to go so I had two really close a lot of close friends that played football at Tennessee. Uh, which was just as close to North Carolina as, you know, it was two hours closer than like Chapel Hill and all that stuff was. So as a kid, you either in basketball, you chose Carolina or Duke uh, and in football, you chose Clemson or Tennessee. Both were about an hour and a half away. And um, I chose Tennessee very early on. And a lot of guys from Western North Carolina played football at Tennessee uh, that I grew up playing against. Heath Shuler and Benji Shuler's brother Leonard Little and Craig King and Sean Bryson and all those guys from those um, mid and late 90 football teams were from Western North Carolina. And so when I would finish my fall ball practice at Western Carolina, I would drive that Saturday over to a football game in Knoxville. Well, that Sunday... Uh, typically, Benji Schuler and I would go up to Rutledge Baptist Church in Granger County, Tennessee. So, Granger County is famous for their tomatoes. Uh, Grange Granger County Maders—that's what we call them—and uh, they're they're unbelievable. Uh, and so, well, we would go and do that, and I used to do this impersonation of uh, a Southern Gospel tenor named Archie Watkins. He was part of the Inspirations, which is Southern Gospel group and my best friend's dad sang for him, and they used to have this thing called Singing in the Smokies in Bryson City, North Carolina, which was close to Silva, where I'm from, and I used to do this impersonation of him, and they talked me into doing that one morning at, at that church. Well, in the crowd, or in the congregation, was a guy named Cooter Daniels. That's his real name, Cooter Daniels, <laughs> and he had He came up to me uh, after church and he was like, hey, you know, I think you ought to try and do something with this. And he had a studio there in Knoxville. uh, And coincidentally, he had a song that charted like in 1990 or something called uh, Picking Maters (laughs) about Granger County Tomatoes. And so I think it was regional, but either way, he was that was his calling card. Um, and so, uh, I, I recorded five gospel hymns that winter. So that was in between my junior and senior season in college. And, and that's really when that kind of started. Uh, so now in, in college, they have the NIL and, um, back then you couldn't, well, as uh, two years ago, you couldn't utilize your name, image and likeness, which in the music business, we're used to what that, that lingo now everybody knows it, um, but you couldn't use, use your name outside of the university. Um, And so I couldn't do anything with that little um, album that I did. Um, But I, before Sunday games, I would go to the local churches and sing and then I'd come and we'd have our Sunday game and all that stuff. And I graduated and it had a couple, you know, phone calls about some independent ball and and all that kind of stuff. And um, music had kind of really taken a hold of me at that point. And, um, and so I moved to Knoxville initially. Um, and then about a year and a half later, I uh, I moved on to Nashville and kind of jumped, jumped in head first.
0: So what did that kind of look like for you, Matt? Cause your you first single, if we fast forward a little bit, you know, Shine comes out in 2008, but you had actually released a couple albums before that. So yeah. what was that kind of early evolution process like for you?
2: Yeah. So I had, I, in, during my time in Knoxville, I had recorded another gospel album. Um, I was trying to make a living selling real estate because Heath Shuler had opened a real estate company. Um, but <laughs> I was traveling and singing on the weekends and that's the opposite of selling houses. And so, oh yeah. um, I kind of knew, you know, that that was that the writing was on the wall for that. And uh, 11 o'clock one Sunday night, I uh, got back from a a trip with my buddy, Jason Price, uh, to a wedding of one of his family members in Atlanta. And I heard about Belmont University 17 times that weekend. Mm -hmm. I got back to Knoxville. I went to a uh, Phillips, Craig and Dean concert with my buddy Benji and the girl that opened the show uh, had just graduated from Belmont and I sat in the parking lot with Benji that night and I was like hey and he's like I know what you want to do <laughs> you just need to go do it by three o'clock the next day I was enrolled in Belmont just to make my mom feel okay with me moving to Nashville I already had a college degree and I had an apartment um, by three o'clock the following day moved in a horse trailer to, to Nashville. And I really just jumped in um, learning how to, I hadn't picked the guitar up until that point. I mean, I played baseball was my life, you know? And so I, I learned how to, started learning how to play guitar. My initial, uh, my initial reason for playing guitar was simply was to be able to write. The first song I wrote was a song called my day will come. For mm-hmm. the second gospel album, and uh, it came to me quick, but it was all in my head. I I had no way of playing or anything to get that out, and uh, so I had to sit with one of the players when we were recording and sing it to him, and we kind of wrote the chart out and what the chords were and that kind of thing. And um, but I jumped in learning how to play and try to play in time, and I I had this book called The Nashville Songwriter and they gave, uh, it was written by a guy named Jerry Cupid. Um, and he gave exercises and now I would just follow those exercises. Um, and I, I would try to write as much as I could. I wrote every day. Um, that kind of, I kind of graduated, uh, to where I could accompany myself, which allowed me to kind of get out and start playing. I started playing in Silva, North Carolina and Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, I started drawing a circle around that, down to Atlanta, Charlotte, up to Johnson City. And, and that circle kind of kept getting bigger. I utilized baseball. My teammates, um, I used to have this ring of keys. Uh, and it was <laughs> to all my teammates' houses that you know, were around the southeast. And they were starting to have kids. And I would come home at 1 or 2 in the morning. And their kid would wake me up at like 6 in the morning. Like, and, uh, it was, so, but it was an awesome time. I, I would, I would figure out where they were, where they went out, wh- what, bars they went to. And, and I would cold call those bars and be like, Hey, I've got a lot of friends in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, they're going to come out and drink beer. I'm going to play and they would come out and drink beer. And I learned early on that that's all the venues care about you know they they could care less if you can sing or play it doesn't matter you got to make them money and i I learned that pretty early on and so um i was able to speak that lingo to them and be like you know i'm going to bring some people i'm going to do this and um that kept me working and i booked myself forever you know uh, i still book myself today um i've had a few booking agents over time but i i do it all i manage and run my label i do everything so um but that ring of keys came in handy and i just kept drawing the circle a little bit bigger uh i initially wrote a song called moonshine uh and i did it there was this documentary this is before moonshiners and this is before that legalized moonshine behind you billy Uh, (laughs) this is when you couldn't have it or you weren't supposed to have it or whatever and there was a documentary simply called moonshine and it had jim tom hedrick who was on the Moonshiner show. He's the older, really funny guy. He just passed away. Uh, God rest his soul. He was just funny. He was from Robbinsville, North Carolina. And I just got infatuated with that documentary. I got, you know, in the culture, the whole situation. And I wrote that song Moonshine and it kind of, it was the first time I really started playing with a band. And, uh, you know, I, I built up a following enough that I could support a band by doing that. And so I, you know, it, it became this process moonshine led to a few things. And, you know, I started having some conversations as moonshine was being legalized, um, with some companies, uh, in that world. And as I started having those conversations, um, I went to my buddy, Lynn Hutton that I write a ton of songs with, and I was like, Hey. I've got an idea for another song about shine, but let's, you know, what do you think about doing this? And we wrote shine. That led to a couple of sponsorships. Initially it was with midnight moon and cat daddy, which was junior Johnson, who was one of the, basically one of the founders of NASCAR and very famous moonshiner and NASCAR driver. Um, Who, by the way, I've had a 45 minute, drive i drove him home from a festival one day and it was just me and him and this is like full outlaw and nascar hall of fame guy and i he just unloaded on how they used to do things they would run out of moonshine and so they would drive to louisiana down to the bayou and pick up rye whiskey and bring it back to north carolina and sell it and uh how he would you know he'd have a gun ready if the the cops pulled him over all this stuff is the greatest it It was awesome (laughs) it was was one of the greatest you know uh with david allen coast of the ride that's what i felt like i was in but the moonshine version of and so you know we wrote shine and everybody kind of started falling in love with it before we put it out and uh i decided you know to to put the song out and and kind of put a little label around it and i figured out how i could do that i didn't have a record deal but i figured out i was already playing enough and you know this is nowadays it's really easy um i say it's easy there aren't as many barriers to being an independent artist when i first came out there was me and zach brown and i shine and chicken fry came out at kind of the same time and Zach had been on the Jagermeister tour and like live nation did their big record deal and that whole thing. And so he kind of graduated out of that independent thing and here little Matt is with, with his moonshine song and, uh, doing a radio tour with, with bottles of moonshine. Uh, but I had to figure it out and I, how to try and do all that stuff. And, uh, and I did and we decided when we shot the video, uh, that we would create a festival around shooting the music video. So I created Stillwell Shine Fest mm. and a shine video is the first annual Stillwell Shine Fest. So wow.
0: that, I, it took me a to while find. to tie
2: that back around, but that's, yeah. that's, that's the genesis of yeah. going quote unquote nationwide. You know, wow. um,
1: well, yeah. I have to tell you, Matt, you're very savvy, very motivated. You know, you really find a way to get to to think outside the box to to make things happen for yourself. So that's, you know, a testament to your success, I think. And I just want to say, because we're running out of time, um, another song that you had that I, I listened to is Hey Dad. And it just touched my heart so deeply. I think it's a universal song i think many many people relate to it and uh, you know i i just want to say thank you for that it was cathartic to listen to it you know and and just kind of wondering you know what that experience was like for you
2: well it, it was <laughs> that's a that is a probably a, a long story uh thank you for sharing that with with me i i think i've realized because of that song, I've realized a couple things. I realized the power of music that I thought I knew before this. Um, and I've realized that when you have a song like that, you become part of people's lives that you've never met mm-hmm. uh, because that song and that video in particular for whoever comes along at a very vulnerable time whether it's your friend that sent it to you or your mom that sent it to you or, or whatever that looks like um it'd be like hey i think you need to see this you know if you have lost your dad or whatever that process has been really really it's been therapeutic for me to be honest with you i um i wrote the song 29 days after um my dad passed and Um, I know we've been talking about baseball a lot, but I I told you I did a lot of stuff with the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, Budweiser used to send me to their fantasy camp and I would go down and play um, second base with Ozzie Smith playing shortstop. And I've gotten to be close with those guys because of that camp. Well, the first fantasy camp I went to um, was in January of 2015 my dad died 12, 13, 14. So December the 13th, um, that, that year. So this is literally a little over two weeks after the funeral and after all that stuff. And my mom and my wife kind of forced me to go do it. I didn't know if I needed to go, you know, all this stuff, but my drive to Florida, uh, the Jeep, to florida and playing baseball for four days and drinking quite a bit of beer with those guys um and then my drive from there to nashville i already had a songwriting session set up those two drives were instrumental Mm
0: -hmm.
2: in my healing after my dad and having some sort of perspective now you mentioned my my savviness i had a budweiser sponsorship so i came out of fantasy camp driving back to Nashville to write with Lynn, my buddy, Lynn. And I had a song idea about beer. I was going to, Hey, I've got this sponsorship and we're going to write this thing. And here's what we're going to do. Bam, 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 bam. And I'm always in that mode. You can tell today I'm, I'm constantly in that mode. It's hard for me to turn that off. And, um, but I walked in, he writes at Seagull music, which is where Stapleton wrote for like 11 years. It's owned by Brad Paisley and Chris, uh, Chris Dubois. And they, you know, small little company, but they have most of those publishing companies are in houses right there on 16th and 17th Avenue. And I I remember vividly walking in that day and Lynn used to ride in the back room on the first floor and there was a couch and he had this, um, his guitar case was plaid. And I remember so vividly walking through those front doors and I hadn't seen Lynn. Lynn was in the Dominican Republic on a writer's retreat when my dad passed, so he couldn't make it to the uh, to the funeral. It was the first time we saw each other. So there was the there was that. But I remember looking back there and seeing his guitar. Um, I got a cup of coffee and we walked back in there, and I unloaded on him on my beer idea, and um, he just looked at me and he said, "That ain't what we're doing today, buddy."
0: Um, Whew!
2: Yeah, that and so from you know and then that then uh, the beginning of that stuff i i don't really remember but i picked my phone up and and, you know i looked in you know your favorites or whatever and it was mom dad you see it in videos yeah yeah
1: Um,
2: and i saw that and that led to our little conversation you know and and ultimately the song is about a conversation that i could have if i you know if i could have it yeah and so (laughs) um Go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, you know, ultimately, and I'll give you a little inside baseball on that. Um, I cried all through that deal, writing it. And Lynn told me when we were leaving that day, he said, Man, your homework is to go and sing through every line until you can get through it. And so I I think we wrote it on a Friday, That's Tuesday. Um I drove around Nashville in my truck for like eight hours and I, uh, driving is very therapeutic for me, but for like eight hours, I drove around and I sang through every line and I, I got to where I could get through it and knock on wood, I haven't really broken down since, you know, and, um, a little more inside baseball, but I played it for a very, close friend of mine Teddy Phillips and then I played it for my family pretty much the third time that I truly played it and and I maybe the first time I played it live I was in Baltimore um, at the Cal Ripken Senior Foundation Gala and I played hey dad sitting about 15 feet away from Cal and his mom uh, Vi who's passed now but they were like right in front of you know Cal's a huge guy he's got crazy blue eyes Mm -hmm. you know I knew him a little bit at that time not as well as I do now but I I knew him a little bit there was a slideshow of Cal senior playing behind me and I'm singing hey dad to that so I had a little bit of I had a kind of a tough time getting through a little bit of that um and, but I got through it and I'm like, man, if I can get through it in this situation, I can kind of get to whenever. And I, and now I, I look at it as my job. It's my job to go out and, and deliver this because it is important people. Um, and you know, that's how I treat it like a job. Right. I mean, I, there's no other way of saying, it. and I get to talk about my dad every day, you know, so that side of this is, is something that I've, I've really kind of dove into. Um, And I really, 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 I can't emphasize how much when I get to hear uh, like your, your story and I saw, I can see your emotion even through zoom. (laughs) um, That's when I get upset. So when I walk off a stage or I, meet somebody and and they know the song and they tell me their story about their dad, then I get upset. Now I can sit and sing and talk about my dad all day long. Um, but, but seeing other people's emotions, um, and, and seeing how it's affected them, not necessarily the song, but just, I think seeing how their dad affected them is what makes all that stuff dive into me. Um, and so that, that, that becomes when I, um, when I could get really emotional with it.
1: well, it, it like I said, it, it is a beautiful song. it's so heartfelt and uh, you know if people are lucky enough to have a dad like you had and like I had and like Bill had, then you know they're going to to feel that. well, even if they didn't, you know there's a certain bond that you have with your parents and and I consider myself lucky to to be affected by it because of the message of love you know behind it so it, it's beautiful and i thank you for sharing your story with us that was unexpected and very much appreciated and uh, gosh sure. we're the time goes by so fast matt we are we're already at the end of of the the time, but, you know, we, we hope that we can have you back again. We want to know what's going on and we'll follow you and and see where you're going to be in Philadelphia anytime soon.
2: Um, I don't have anything booked, but I will tell you really fast that I, you know, for the last four years, I've been doing these hometown house parties. That's how I adapted to COVID. I built a trailer and it's my stage and that whole thing and played about 250 of those across the country during COVID, which is crazy. I built that model. I mean, a lot of people do house parties, but nationwide and kind of around of song in 2019. So before COVID, the second one I did, guess where it was? In Philadelphia. Yeah. And it dealt with Hey Dad. I would tell you probably at least 50% of the people that reach out to me to do a hometown house party uh, got to me because of Hey Dad. Mm. So, but- there was a kid in Philly. Um, his mom reached out to me, and she heard him in um, his bedroom. He was still in high school; he was a senior in high school. He had lost his dad, and she heard him. She sat in the hallway and listened to him sing "Hey Dad" and cry. And she wrote me while she was sitting there. And so I was like, "Man," and this is this is in 2019, early early in the year in 2019. So this is four years since my dad uh, and, and four years of me trying to continue to figure out the music business and that whole situation. And I went up and they were so excited. I played for him and all of his high school friends uh, i've played for them again since then and and i i hope that i will they're all in college now so hopefully i'll uh, i'll keep playing with them but it's created this bond like what, what you talked about rosie hey dad has and so has the hometown house party and that you know i, I kind of carving my way through this thing and uh, i just try to outwork everybody i guess
0: Well, that's for sure. And I'll tell you, Matt, we're going to try to figure out a way to get you, uh, get you up here. So I'll, I'll just end with that and turn it back over to my partner.
1: Well, again, you're doing beautiful work. You're touching a lot of people. And I know that, that at the end of the day, that's what counts. So thank you so much for coming on the show, folks. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have, and we'll see you next week.
3: His old hands were like leather Working in a cold Carolina weather Stringing 60-hour weeks together my mama, my brothers and me and He was old-fashioned, he was old-school American, red, white and blue But to me, he was just cool The man I wanted to be Well, it ain't set in. That he's really gone If I could call the number Still here in my phone I'd say, hey dad, it's me dad I just wanted to tell you that I miss you bad He made me laugh like he always did Before he say goodbye, he'd leave me with this Go on, boy, be strong, boy Don't you shed a tear for me, boy had a good life, one hell of a run. It's all right, I love you, son. Hey, Dad.
0: This week's episode has been brought to you by Doherty & Company Insurance Services, for all your business and personal insurance needs. Our friends at Tennis Addiction in PA. And the Malin Agency, where exceeding expectations is how they do business. Interested in becoming a partner in positivity? Send us an email. Rosie and Bill Show 2018 at gmail.com.